This is Flipping Tables Podcast, episode 16. I am David Lyons, one of your hosts. I'm Michael Edwards, the other angry host. And I think uh, we couldn't really call ourselves a tech podcast if we didn't spend at least some time talking about how Apple is doomed (laughs) since they had WWDC yesterday, right? (laughs) Correct. So this is, I feel like, because obviously you can't, have we couldn't have waited 24 entire hours to talk about this so <laughs> so we've we've talked about this a little bit and i feel like a little bit of the opposite is happening because recent wwdc's have been uh just for anybody who's listening who who doesn't know that's the apple worldwide developer conference right so this is their google focus IO. on the word developer yes <laughs> developer uh in the past years it's been treated as a consumer show but it's really not it's a week-long developer show and uh they either stream or live blog the keynotes so consumers were always kind of in on what was going on and every year it was apple is doomed because of whatever no unicorn pad. Yeah, no, some device didn't get revealed, something didn't happen, and that was unacceptable, and, <laughs> and the company was doomed. This year felt like the opposite, is everyone was like, the company is definitely saved because <laughs> of these things, and I kind of, I'm, I, I understand the love. I get <laughs> we're not, we're like, we're like just like softly touching the table. <laughs> No, I mean, I have to say, um, as the representative of more of the Apple fanboy on the podcast, which I'll accept that label if it's said lovingly and not yeah. not as like a religious fanatic idiot that... <laughs> the gentle punch in the arm, you. <laughs> yeah. You. I, I gladly admit that I am an Apple enthusiast. Um, I think for the Apple enthusiasts, it's very a, lot, a whole lot to be excited about. Um, a lot of Android features we've wanted a long time and pretended that didn't matter until now. <laughs> <laughs> until Apple invented them. <laughs> yep. Um, but no, I mean, like, compared to last year with iOS 7, it was like, look at how new it looks. And this year was all like, yeah, we didn't, we're done with changing how it looks for a while. And look at all the awesome stuff we needed. <laughs> yes. Well, because it, it's the right phrase, isn't it? It's last year was look at how new it looks. This year is look at how new it works. Yeah. Look at all these new things it does. Um, they actually, uh, I, I, it's kind of a BS metric, but there were like 4,000 new APIs. <laughs> and I think the biggest thing, because I mean, I like Apple, but I'm definitely not, I'm pro whoever works best. Like That's why I carry an Android phone, but I use um, a MacBook Air laptop because they those are the ones that suit my needs the best. Um but the fact that they opened up and said, we're going to allow extensibility, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to let third-party keyboards. That was the one. <laughs> I never saw, no one yeah. thought that would ever happen. Yes. No one expects the Spanish third-party keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, yeah, that was like, because that, that's a, a sea change. That is, we are doing things differently than we have in well, the Well, I mean, because something like the keyboard is, you know, as basic as it is, that's exactly what Apple's like. We love controlling this. No, you will all ruin this. We're not going to let you. Even though we have to just talk about the shift key if you want to talk about ruining it. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was that an iOS 7 change? Yeah. Yeah. And it got worse because initially it was a little clearer i think even though it was still a little bit confusing but they like oh you guys don't get the shift key how about we make it even harder to understand (laughs) 
Well, cause I always thought it was weird that the and as far as I know, this goes all the way back. The keyboard is always all caps, right? Yeah. Or it looks all caps. You're not because typing it's, all caps aesthetically, like. that's that makes their designers happier, I guess. I guess I I just feel like there's. A lot of lost communication happening. I mean, look at your MacBook keyboard, all caps. I mean, not that that matters because you're not going to be able to change that. <laughs> yes, but I feel like the biggest difference there is that the keys on a tactile keyboard are designed to tell you, this is what that key does, now stop looking at it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, because most people should eventually learn to touch type, I hope. <laughs> But with a, a, a you know a glass top keyboard on a touch device, you kind of have to look at it. I mean, I don't think anyone could would honestly claim they touch type even on an iPad, which has a way bigger you know. Yeah, field. I've tried to do that, and you get some pretty funny sentences that come out <laughs> with <laughs> autocorrect. Just like <laughs> just Colbert calculator. <laughs> so, but okay, so they. The third-party keyboard that was is that part of the extensibility? And to me, thing? like that one, like no one at, at face value is like, "Wow, that's amazing." Technically, no, it's more like a symbol of like, "Wait, Apple is doing that now." Yes, <laughs> well, because Apple stopped beating his wife. <laughs> <laughs> when did you stop beating your wife? But that's a uh, so you know Tim Cook took over the company after Steve Jobs passed away and. Even the biggest Apple fans were like, well, no, Tim Cook's cool, and there's still a lot of other designers and people who are still with the company who obviously had a huge say in the company, but now that Steve Jobs has gone, the company's going to collapse. Yeah. You know, it was the... And then there was the weird rumor mill of that he had this, like, secret plan for... (laughs) I heard five years. I've I've seen longer, but the one I heard most was for five years. The company has the plan. I mean, I bet he's the kind of guy that thought about the next five years, but through experience, probably recognized that things don't go to plan all the time. Well, and but yeah, I'm sure. How could like, you possibly? I mean, in in this field of all fields, yeah. How could you possibly <laughs> say I know right now what product I'm going to launch five years from now? Yeah. Five years ago, we didn't have the current resurgence of the tablet market. Yeah. I mean, it, and only a couple of years before that, we didn't have Smart- smartphones <laughs> in their current Sorry, incarnation. Blackberry. <laughs> Black, they were, nah. <laughs> Blackberries were just palm trails that had a 3G radio, or a 2G <laughs> radio, I guess. They weren't smart. They were phones yeah. that did email. But that's what I mean. It's like you couldn't. In 2006, unless you were working on the iPhone, you could not possibly have said, oh, maybe we'll eventually make a 9-inch version of this and call it an iPad. Like, (laughs) no one knew that that was coming. And then even after the iPhone was out for a couple years, when they first, the rumors started to hit the iPad, people were like, that's dumb. Wouldn't you just use a laptop? Well, I think the closest thing you could get to is that I think they wanted to make the iPad first, and it just wasn't possible yet, like with profitable margins, like to okay. make a 10 inch tablet with 10 hours of battery that was fast enough and good enough. And I think they were, I think it was easier to do the phone. You think there was probably, uh, 
like a social barrier that needed to be crossed because everyone too, had a crappy razor flip phone, right? So when they said, oh, here's an iPhone instead of your piece of crap razor flip phone, people were like, oh, I would love to have a no, phone that was yeah, awesome. Market but, acceptance. Yeah, but with an probably. iPad, it's like, here's a thing you don't know that you need and you have to spend a small fortune on to realize how <laughs> I mean, we is. joke now that, like, who needs an iPad? <laughs> yeah, I feel there's but, a place I mean, for tablets. It's easier to defend now than it would have been in 2006. Like, oh, yeah. Here's an iPad. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself any kind of technology prophet, but I definitely would have been like, uh, I already have a laptop. Why would, would I want that, this? That classic, like, you know, gadget enthusiast conflict of that's really cool. I don't need it. Yeah, it's really cool. And I even feel now like my because I have a Nexus Seven, which is quite a bit more portable, but I still. It serves very specific purposes. Like, it's not my go-to device, really, for anything. It's my, oh, there's my tablet. So instead of reading this article on my phone, since my tablet is within arm's reach... It's like this friend you hang out with every once in a while that you're, you're always happy to see, but <laughs> it's not your wife. <laughs> I would, like, call him and make plans, but when we're at the same restaurant, then it's like, oh, pull your chair over. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll catch up. A happy hour now and then. <laughs> Poor tablet market. <laughs> so other other than uh, extensibility, what were some of the cool things they So announced? I think one of the coolest, or I mean, a lot of this has an asterisk of we'll see how it works out, <laughs> admittedly, but they still, I think, manage to inspire a lot of confidence, in, even though there is that asterisk on everything. But I think the, the new programming language is really interesting. For, Swift? Yeah. With, with its super flat bird logo. So if you're unfamiliar, everything developed for Mac and iOS for the past forever has been Objective-C, which, if you're a new modern hip programmer, is kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's there, There's no managed memory. There's, there's like this halfway automatic resource counter arc thing that, like, <laughs> helps you manually manage your memory, but there, there's... There's all sorts of reasons that are out of my depth of why Objective-C is painful to live on. Well, and it's also just really ugly yeah. because it looks like a low-level language because when you need to communicate every little thing to the compiler in excruciating detail, you can't have vague generalities. Yeah, you have to be very explicit all the time with the, the types of your variables and the way you're sending them and like sending nils and Yeah, exactly. Like so it, it's not very like friendly. And so that also means you spend half your life chasing down trivial bugs that are easy to trip on in a language that doesn't try to prevent you from doing anything badly. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely in lower level languages like uh, C plus and Objective C, or even C if you really want to go old school, you can absolutely get in there and be like, uh, at this spot, I want to overwrite all the memory and just totally crash the device. Like, I don't know why you would want to do that, yeah. but that's a thing you could do. Whereas with a higher level interpreted language like Python or Ruby, um, you can't really easily mm -hmm. tell it, hey, break everything. And those are the right languages to mention, even though this is still a compiled language, it's not an interpreted language. Right. It, they just have a playground that pretends to be interpreted for a while while you test things out. 
Yeah, it does like a live emulator. But kind you of wouldn't thing. you wouldn't test a full app in that playground. I no. don't think you I, would, you would test an algorithm to see if it's behaving the way you expect. Right. But no, I think it's interesting. But it even though it's not like an interpreted language in that sense, it is borrowing a lot of the visual readability emphasis and. Um, you don't have to put semicolons, which is the hipster thing. <laughs> but you can, if you need that security blanket, you can put semicolons. <laughs> which is so. I don't think there's, um, especially f- when you consider developing for an operating system um, platform like a native application. I don't think there's a really an argument that's too strongly in favor of compiled versus interpreted because you're going to have to package it even if you don't compile it so Mm -hmm. there's really no benefit to doing interpreted when it's going to be packaged into an app anyway but the readability of an interpreted style language like javascript or ruby or python or whatever is uh it's just really welcoming and the main argument that i've been seeing from people on twitter over the last day is it's a I'll, i'll find the the meme but it's like neo sitting up in the chair in the Nebuchadnezzar and it's like, it says like, I know iOS and it's, (laughs) and the argument is like, it's now so similar to JavaScript that someone who previously was not developing native applications for iOS could quickly learn the syntax and jump. And, Mm -hmm. and so that's the argument, right? Is before you had people who were like, I don't want to learn objective C but I'd love to develop an app, but I don't want to learn objective C. And it's like, Oh no, come over here. Before yeah. we just had oatmeal raisin cookies, but now we have chocolate chip. <laughs> come, come hang out. <laughs> Your trust issues can go away. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's. I mean, it, it's a developer conference, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> and I think that got one of the biggest roars of enthusiasm from the crowd. Was like, I think all the tweets I saw were joking. If you're, if you know of John Syracuse, one of the like prominent Apple podcast nerds. He writes the like fifty page review every year in Ars Technica of every uh, new OS yes. ten. Um, and he's on various podcasts. But this is like his like few things he's always never expecting but always wanted from Apple are <laughs> a new programming language that isn't a pain in the ass and a new file system. He didn't get a new file system, but he, he has a long rant about HSF plus and unreliable Oh, that is what they use, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they're weird. So he has lots of very technical critiques of, like, you cannot live on this forever, Apple. You have to get somewhere better, (laughs) but someday, maybe. Right. But I think there are lots of jokes of, like, John Syracuse, this is your day. You got so much (laughs) stuff you You win. Um, So I think there was a tear in his eye. (laughs) (laughs) They finally listened to me. But, no, I mean, I guess the general sense is the most important thing to me is that there seemed like a very positive direction for Apple and like yeah they're they're bringing in a lot of features that the competitors have been doing and you know credit to the proper people who really invented those features which isn't always Android sometimes it's Palm OS or it's Windows Mobile it's just those weren't popular platforms (laughs) so people uh, joked about the widgets and they're like oh iOS will never have widgets and they found a way to put widgets into iOS without actually giving you widgets, which I don't know if that's like a backhanded compliment. Like, oh, yeah, widgets are cool. We're just going to make them kind of useless and cram them into the notification shade. 
It's like, are they really still widgets then? Aren't they just smart notifications? It's definitely a, a different take. I think Apple's thinking it's it's more of a glanceable thing. Like you pull down the shade and look at your whatever multi your rich notification. Right. Your permanent notification. And then you bid on eBay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because they're all notifications like you can interact with, sort of, and you can do things with, sort of. So it's like, I mean, I'm not trying to poo-poo the feature. I just feel like widgets, they're not widgets. Well, it's clear Apple considers the home screen like sacred ground. I yes. mean, that is their app drawer because there yeah. is no drawer. Um, yeah, and they don't they have? I mean, you use an iPhone every day, don't they? Aren't one or two of the the icons like smart? Like, doesn't the calendar yeah, icon actually the show calendar the calendar icon gets to be smart and update like a live tile? I mean, it doesn't not really like a live tile. It's not that dynamic, but it always shows the current date, right? So, so, so the, the the inroads are there. Yeah, maybe they're just like. Our API for updating a square isn't mature yet, and we'll give it square updates to people later. But, we have not yet perfected the putting words. But you in know a what it means is f- until Apple finally, in quotes, gives home screen widgets, which I don't think it's a conclu- foregone conclusion they ever will. Um, every stupid concept, yes, video every, maker, every, every senior uh, <laughs> student designer. <laughs> is uploading to Dribbble his <laughs> yes. version of widgets. And I, I actually saw one uh, just right before WWDC. Was it the, like, pinched? Uh... Uh, I don't know if you could resize them, but they, it was Windows Live tiles. Yeah. Like, because when you have a grid of icons, some of the icons take up a 2 by 2 instead of a one by one and it's got rich information. That's a Windows Live tile. Yeah, I think it was just the way you did it is you just pinched out oh, and, a and music app it? and you'd get a music player widget. See, that's slightly less useful than it just being big all the time, but it's kind of neat. Um, it's Well, his idea was like you would peek into apps with that Oh, so you'd pinch. be like, oh, what's going on in here? And Do then, like, hey. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it needlessly adds a non-obvious complex, like... Yes. Yeah, um, how would you communicate to someone like, oh, you can... It's it's not a natural user interface, Mike, <laughs> is the problem. But it's so... I mean, it, but if I was a Microsoft designer for Windows Phone, and I saw that, and they were like, oh, wouldn't this be amazing if Apple invented these widgets? And be, I'd be like, no, that's literally our entire interface. <laughs> like, that's not, You can't have that. And I mean, I like I don't want anyone to own. Just like I always hate when, as much as I love Android, I do hate the gush of like we had that first. Yeah. Well, welcome to the party, guys. Well, especially because I mean, yeah, because in reverse, it's never it's not a good look, no matter who's saying <laughs> no, that. It's not. But I mean, it's not always even true. It's like, oh, you mean like a card based multitasking? Oh, Palm OS had that. And they did and, it really and, well. And the UI idea has been around forever. The very first mobile Safari had a card interface for the tabs. Really? And like, granted, that's not multitasking, but it's the UI idea. Exactly. Of swiping between views. <laughs> Actually, I I don't remember HyperCard that in depth, just because I was like ten when it was kind of at the peak of its its deal. But I have heard people falter back to that and they're like 
well, the card interface was really invented by HyperCard. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how that worked at all. If you actually remember what yeah. it looked like, it was full screen every time because they were old computers. That's how they worked. It's like, I know you want to give Apple credit for everything. If you're an Apple fanboy, you want to give Microsoft credit for everything if you're a Microsoft fanboy, but HyperCard, no. And I know, I know that... The reason this is a thing is because marketing departments are always so hyperbolic with, like, the most advanced operating system ever and innovative and blah, blah, blah. But I actually am really sick of the word innovative, and I think it's a Ningo Montoya moment <laughs> of just, like, why does a good feature have to be brand new, number one? Why does it have to be something the world has never seen? And it's probably because marketing departments are always pretending it is, but... <laughs> And people just want to pull pull them down a notch. But why is this obsession with originality? Like, So I think I'm going to grasp wildly here. But I think I have an explanation for that. Plausible deniability. Okay. Yes. And you're like, what that? Why? How is that related? <laughs> because, Michael, <laughs> because if you didn't... So you're a tech company. Let's just say Apple. I'm if just you a tech company. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're just a tech company that's worth like $200 billion and you announce a new feature and you don't claim that it's yours and that you invented it and that it's brand new and that no one else has ever done it, then are you not opening yourself up to copyright and patent lawsuits? Like you have to go forward acting like I made this, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, that's... On every face of it. I mean, I would believe it's just, even if you just said it's just a marketing, like, no one's going to come out and say, our product's all right. I mean, it's got a bunch of stuff everyone else is doing. certainly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, I'd maybe weigh weigh your options. I mean, it's our first try at this feature, (laughs) so it's probably not even that great yet. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe wait till next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt the marketing arm. Like, Apple's never going to come out and be like, but the new really, iPhone, you should wait till next really year. Is it really any protection to say you invented something? If Would it not? Doesn't that just incite people to go, hell no, you didn't? But, I mean, there is definitely that the prior art arm of patent yeah. reform or patent uh, litigation. Invalidation. Yeah, so... If you come to the table and say, like, no, we invented this, and then other people are like, no, clearly you didn't, yeah. then you'd be like, oh, well, I, I didn't know about that. I had never yeah. seen that. I guess that's like if you if you – a lot of companies have a disclaimer. If you send them ideas, they're like, we are not going to give you credit for anything. If yeah. you send us something, it's ours, yep. and you are – You can't send us your idea and then sue us later about it. (laughs) Did you, when you were a kid and you read Nintendo Power, did you send any Mega Man boss designs to Nintendo Power? No. Do you remember that? No. Uh, I must have sent like a half a dozen different. I loved it. But it was like, it was the same thing. It was like, if you send this to us, we'll give you like a thumbs up if we use your character. But like, that's it. Yeah. Then we own it. And then they got an army of, you know, five to 15 year olds scribbling on graph paper <laughs> sending them design which is fine you know audience participation and all but I, I feel like even though there's obviously the marketing side like there's no debating that i think plausible deniability for patent litigation has to be part of it be, yeah and there's definitely the uh 
the extension of the marketing where Apple's entire image is we got here first. Think different. Yes, we we do things differently and betterly and yeah. more goodly. Which I have to say, the fact that they say that and then in the same breath say we don't have to be number one. We never have to be first to market. We just have to be best. And it's like, how can – those things are mutually exclusive. How can you possibly be both of those things? And people gobble that crap up. What, being first and best? Being first and improving on the ideas of others. You oh, can't yeah. You can't invent a great idea and have copied and improved that same <laughs> idea. It's one or the other. They want to be the the, fir- the first post in the forum troll. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> first. Yeah, first. When you're actually no, I like mean, third. Honestly, I don't see they, – they really don't claim to be first as much as maybe they used to. I don't know. Someone should analyze that, you know, spend valuable time of their life analyzing <laughs> that. But it does seem like the, it is mostly the rhetoric of, yeah, 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 we, we waited two years to do copy and paste, but – But we nailed it. Yeah. We totally nailed it. So, okay, so you use iOS every day. Mm-hmm. I don't know how often you use your iPad, but... Not very often. Not very often. Um, is it your magazine reader? Yeah, it is a graphic novel machine. Yeah. So, But you do use your iPhone every day. So going from iOS 7 to iOS 8, what what little paper cuts have they put Band-Aids on? Oh, man, where to start? Um, a lot of it's potential. So, again, the asterisk of we'll see how well it goes. But Always. the idea that my password manager could be directly integrated into any app that could possibly need it or, like, just integrated into my keyboard so sounds awesome. Would that work with the Touch ID? That would be even better. There's been some speculation I've read about that. That So... Again, go listen to our password episode, but I'm a good citizen. I have crazy 20-digit hashed passwords for everything now. And right now, my workflow, if I go to like a site that I haven't logged into in a while and I need to log in, I have to go to the 1Password app, put in my master password, copy, switch back to the app where I want to sign in and yeah. paste. and. Compared to what I do in Chrome on the desktop, where I just hit Command slash and boom, and it's done. <laughs> autofill. Um, I want that for mobile, and so there's sort of the. I hope. I mean, the impl- the details matter of whether it's actually possible with what Apple's put in place, but it sounds like one password will either be able to just hook into offer itself as an extension in any app, sort of like the Intents, totally right. exactly like Intents. Or maybe they'll roll their own custom keyboard. Maybe it'll be identical to Apple's yeah, keyboard in every which, way which except is, a password button. That, which is how LastPass, they, they don't require you to use their keyboard, thank God, because it's terrible. <laughs> but they have a LastPass keyboard where you can just be like, ba-boom. And it, I like the copy-paste version just because a lot of apps and websites don't properly flag Yeah, and it's the like fields. putting the address field. And yeah. Um, so I, I prefer to do a partially manual process, but I can totally see now on iOS every password manager is going to be like keyboard. So that's a pretty big paper cut is when I switched to hard passwords, it really pushed me into, and to be fair, on, on iOS, a lot of your life is in apps anyway. Almost everything is go go to the app version. Right. So a lot of those are sign in once and you're done. 
So all my Google stuff, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, I signed in once and I don't have to worry about it anymore. So it wasn't like the end of my world that I had to copy and paste out of a separate app. But I'm hoping that becomes not a problem. So what did you get um, the the way the notifications are going to change? So what what did you gain there? Like I Because I know what they showed and I was like, I thought you could already – do that. Yeah. So the the biggest change is right now in iOS 7, if you get a notification, there's three kinds. There's well, there's three things you can control. You can control what type of notification it is, whether you want nothing, whether you want a banner to just pop down from the top, or whether you want it to the old style interrupt what you're doing and pop an alert in front of you. Oh my god, they did used to work that way. Yeah. Oh, those and were so, horrible. <laughs> you can you can actually tell every single app, and this is one of the things I you know one of the few things I like about Apple's notification settings is you can tell every app exactly what they're allowed to do when they notify you. So you could have different styles for different apps. Yeah, you can say Gmail is allowed to completely interrupt me whenever and pop in oh. my face, but Spotify, you know, you never get to do anything. Sorry, <laughs> shut up. I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> or you know, I want a noise from Outlook but no badge, or I want a badge from this app, but nothing else. So you get to just decide mm. for yourself what every app does. Right. Um, what, what you're gaining here is you can now act on the notifications. So right now the notifications are just shortcuts that take you to the app. Okay, so now when like a, like you know, David Lyons tagged you in a picture on Facebook, yeah, you, you can get, like you, that. You get a summary, yeah, now you can like or reply straight without leaving your current app. Right. Or like, so with, uh, say you got a mail notification and you hit reply, it'll like pop open yep. directly to the compose. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, welcome to the party. Yeah, Mike. welcome to three years <laughs> ago, but a very welcome addition of what others have already been doing. No, but that that sounds like... I mean, this That's is a paper cut. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I could just go to the app, but it's like, if I could save two taps a hundred times well, a day. What always happens to me is I'm reading an article and having a light conversation with someone. Ah. And that's just like constantly leaving my article. Right. And that gets old really fast. So now it can be like, now nah, I'm good. <laughs> or, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think Kevin Purdy calls those, uh, I think, 10-4 notifications where it's like, I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't need to contribute anything to it. It's just like, yeah, okay. You know? <laughs> so it's like, if you get a, an, an SMS that says, like, have a great day, it's like, I don't, I don't need to do anything with that. I just need it to be like, oh, okay, go away now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks, but you know, go, go yeah, away now. Some grunt response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that, as a way off like that's why i'm looking forward to android wear because a lot of notifications i get i would love to just look down at my wrist and be like uh-huh and then go back to my life instead of being like my phone vibrated and i don't know what that means so i gotta take my phone well, out. i didn't think just like basic email triage like of uh, just like archive yeah you know good to know yeah. archive yeah. <laughs> yeah copy that yeah exactly and actually so with the the vibrate thing or ringtone, some people are like, well, you just have a custom ringtone for everything. Like, custom vibration pattern for everything. Yeah, that to me, I like. I don't know anyone who actually does that. <laughs> just Morse code of everything. Yeah, I guess maybe 
I would I would consider setting up a custom ringtone and vibration pattern for like Susan. So it's like if my wife needs to get in touch with me in an emergency, my phone, you know, if she texts me like nine one one, then maybe that would make my phone flip out. Like it yeah. rings and it vibrates nonstop. And there's some of that in iOS already of like you can set up certain people as VIPs. And so like you can say, even though I've muted my phone, if that person calls, make yes. it ring. Yeah. And that I can see a little bit of value to that, but that's like <laughs> You know, my my spouse, um, if my kid was old enough, like maybe my kid or if I was on call for my job, God forbid. But, you know, like <laughs> if, if the servers rely on me, like yeah. then maybe, you know, I, I would set something like that up. But people are like, oh, you can just customize every notification. It's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want them to just be useful on their own. Yeah. Like and I mean, then there's a lot of people who just swing the other way and they're like, no, no notifications. I don't want to be notified of anything. I'll check my email when I check it. I'll check Twitter when I check it. And I've actually started to lead more that way. Yeah, I, I turn off. Basically, an app has to be really, really special, a really special snowflake <laughs> for me to leave notifications on. I'm pretty much, they're all off unless I deem otherwise. Yeah. And that, actually, I've noticed that when socialness gets shoehorned into something that they use that as an excuse for notifications because like hey man this is a communication platform we got to be able to get in touch with you the notifications are how we do that i don't think developers need any excuse because the the most single playeriest of single player games is like how about i notify you of things well i was like no i, I feel most Rate annoying. my app <laughs> no zero yeah, zero stars <laughs> f minus i've noticed uh a lot with apps that have social features that I care absolutely nothing about. The one that springs to mind is Spotify. Yeah. Every, like I follow no one on Spotify. As far as I know, no one follows me, but every once in a while, because I follow a couple of social playlists, it has in the background attached me to those people. So it'll be like, so-and-so just liked this song. Or, hey, this new album's available. And I'm like, I don't care. Shut up. <laughs> so are we just going to spin off into app sins right now? Because I, when, you, when you're talking about notification sins, I have to bring up what Twitter's been doing lately. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. <laughs> WWDC was interesting. Go look at it on The Verge. <laughs> we have to talk about this now. So Twitter has this thing, and it seems like everyone's sort of universally like, yeah, you too, buddy. Like, oh, man. Of... You'll get a notification, and it's just like, this guy and this random other guy, you happen to follow them, but are talking about this third thing that you don't give yes. any shits about. Yes, they Twitter notifications have gone full six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> and it's... And the thing is, like, I don't actually follow that many people on Twitter. I don't. You have a, actually a super curated list, don't you? Uh, so the, I think this one's a joke, but uh, I'll include the picture. Of this I retweeted this. It says it's a Twitter notification. It says Ann Coulter and Deepak Chopra are talking about Fugazi lyrics, and I'm pretty sure it's fake. <laughs> it's but it's exactly the kind of cool theory that Twitter <laughs> is up to. Well, so, do you happen to know how many people you follow on Twitter? Um, I'm on my page. I follow 230, which seems like a lot. That's actually way more than I thought. <laughs> but it's still not that many in the Twitter scheme of things. So <laughs> I only follow a couple of like highbrow tech people. Um, like, 
pseudo tech celebrities, <laughs> but if two or three of them are talking about like some open source project or some change in a piece of software or some like something at WWDC, it'll pop up and it'll be like these five people just favorited you know so and so's tweet. And I'm like, I don't care. If I cared about so and so's tweet, I would be following them on Twitter. And I get it; they're trying to increase like discoverability and blah blah blah. But I just uh, and Twitter has done even a second more evil thing, where this does not happen enough that I have yet looked for a way to turn it off. So it's like I every time it happens, I'm like, ah, stop it! But it only happens like once or twice a week. So I haven't really fallen all over myself to see if this is even something I can disable. Yeah, and I think, that, I mean, sort of the the narrative that is probably sort of just speculation but makes sense to me is the MBAs have taken over Twitter, and they're like, yeah, we got to monetize everything, monetize all the things. And uh, I believe it, but, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the way they've dealt with their APIs. Oh, I just put in an image or rehost of that. Ah. Right above that, but in our show notes, we'll have an example of the, this, this notification spam. Um, but it does seem. I mean, do you remember the Dick Bar from like a year or two ago? I do not. So basically, everyone. Oh yes, sorry. That like out of context, like my head was in another place, and I was just yeah. like, "Where is do this?" You remember go- the Dick Bar? Um, <laughs> that sure. great Dick Bar we went to. No. Um, <laughs> um, for those who don't remember, um, Twitter knows that everyone loves their poll to refresh. Yes. And what they apparently didn't realize is how sacred ground that is. When I poll to refresh, I don't want to see crap. Yeah. Yep. I want to see my new stuff. And so w- they added in when you, uh, is that the title? Do I think, remember? do you remember the dick bar? Okay. <laughs> good, good. So when you would poll to refresh in Twitter's app, it would show you promoted tweets or yes. promoted content. Yes. Which, which I think was live for about 42 seconds. Because immediately <laughs> the trending hashtag was dick bar. Yes. And it was just like, this is a PR disaster. Yeah. I'm really hesitant to search for that <laughs> hashtag on Twitter. But I think I have to try. I have to go into that. There's a... There's a Marco Arment article, why the, the dick bar is offensive. Oh, yeah, throw throw that in, because who knows what I'll actually come up with on Twitter. Nothing good. They called it the quick bar. That's why the dick ah. bar became the... <laughs> I feel so bad for branding and marketing people who have to... You know, the, the engineers <laughs> come to them and say oh, hey, we're going to do this new thing. And the marketing people are thinking like, we know people are going to hate this, and now we have to name it in a way that doesn't open it up to harassment. I think it's got to be the opposite, though. I don't think the engineering people are sitting around like, how can we ruin this thing I love? It's the marketing people are like, we got to sell ads. We're in charge now. Go tell the engineers you have to make this. We yeah. have this great idea for a, a quick bar. Yeah, and the engineers probably are probably right. like, uh. "Don't make us code the dick bar." <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's maybe the first person to call that was an engineer from Twitter <laughs> yeah. with an anonymous account who was like, <laughs> "My only way of trying to get this killed. <laughs> yeah. I can make this terrible for everyone." So this is. Um, 
the 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 spammy thing that Twitter's doing is there's the so and so are talking about this, and they also do so and so is following, yeah, so and so, which I feel like that's very Facebooky, because that's Twitter's people you may know, mm-hmm. and it's like on in a place you didn't ask for it, a, pl- a place yes. that's supposed to be here's something that's important and happened to you, yeah. And I don't know, I think the thing that's so offensive about all this is it's sort of against the whole idea of Twitter is Twitter is you selected the things you wanted to see. And anytime Twitter is like, well, what if we shove something you didn't ask for down your throat? It's like, yeah, that's kind of (laughs) against the entire soul of what your product is supposed to be. Yes. And I mean, it, it, it had to go this way because they were like, what if we launch this product that's really simple and works really well and we have absolutely no way to make money off of it? Yeah. How about that? (laughs) And for those who think, like, why couldn't this be, why can't we have nice things? Well, I just have to point at app.net and say, like, no one wants to pay for this. Nope. Everyone wants it for free. Yep. So. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, every time somebody complains about uh, ads on Facebook – you remember a couple years ago, it was like every other month, there was this rumor that Facebook was going to start charging. It was going to be like premium Facebook. It's just, just like the old AOL yeah. forward spam. Yeah, I mean, the exact same kind of... Instant Messenger is going to cost money soon. Exactly. But the thing is, at least Instant Messenger is like SMS. The, the, the overhead to power that is so trivial that it, it's just... It's like they don't even care. They don't even notice yeah. that they're wasting CPU cycles on this. But Facebook is like a really heavy application. And because they keep pushing photos more and more, it's getting heavier. So there's it's believable that they would be like, you know what? We'll turn off all your ads for 50 bucks a year. 50 bucks a year, no ads. Or $5 a month or $100 a year or whatever. Like that's – it's a business strategy – that would fail miserably, yep. but there's at least logic to it. But with Twitter, it's like, I don't know how they're ever going to make this work. Like, eventually, doesn't the VC have to run out and they have to just be like, we're done. It's done. It has to get pretty ugly, just pretty fast of just like 50% of your stream is now ads. Well, cause <laughs> I feel like if, if you ever actually look at the, the numbers – Twitter is not does not have nearly as many users as people think. A lot of those users are dead. A lot of those users are brands and fake accounts that are bots. So like news networks and brands and stuff, TV shows, those kinds of things, they act like Twitter is this mega popular communication channel and it's kind of not. It's I mean, it's cool. I like Twitter. I, I would be sad if it went away. But if they came to me and said, how much are you willing to pay for Twitter? They would probably not be happy with the amount of money I would put on it. Yeah. I'd give them, I would do like a dollar a month. In units of beats. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How many three billions? <laughs> how many beats audios? None. None beats audios. And I, it, I would do a dollar. Like Pandora style, like a dollar a month, turn off ads. Yeah. Here, yeah. I there's would pay probably, I mean, twelve dollars a year. But there's plenty of services that are. They're not. I wouldn't say Twitter's important to anything for me. Like mission critical. No. 
but I like it enough that I probably would consider paying ten bucks a year to just be ad free. Sure. And I mean, so let's let's just pretend for a second that half of their customers were willing to do that. So they have what, like fifty million registered users, something like that. So twenty five. That'd be $250 million. That's yeah. probably not enough by a long shot. Yeah. Especially because they keep... But you know what that would mean is the non-paying... Like, the every incentive would be to start spamming the hell out of the ones that weren't. <laughs> and... So, yeah, so it would just turn into ad nightmare universe. Yeah, it'd be like... <laughs> for the people that don't pay. Ten bucks, And that, that might just bucks. kill their, their user base even faster. But... Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I do not envy the people who have to solve this problem. This is a hard problem. We gave something to someone for free that they can live without. How do we now get them to pay for it? Like if heroin wasn't addictive, drug dealers would probably not give you the first taste for free, right? <laughs> so like I would be bummed if Twitter went away, but I wouldn't be heartbroken. Yeah. was I mean, the whole microblogging thing is kind of – is it like instant messenger now? It's just like it's going to be this thing you can do in 800 different ways that doesn't need to be one monolithic thing? Or Yeah, I mean, I feel like every social network has their culture. Like the kind of thing I post to Twitter and the kind of thing I post to Google Plus frequently overlap, but not always. Well, it's interesting you bring up culture because I think the one community that I think is specially suited to Twitter I mean, there may be others too, but um, comedians, because brevity is the soul of wit, and so tweets lend themselves to short jokes in a way you would not do that as much or as successfully on Facebook or Google+. It's true. Like, I don't see a lot of short one-liners, unless it's an image or multimedia on Google+. True. So, wild proclamation. (laughs) If and when Twitter dies, it goes... To the comedians, the way MySpace went to musicians. <laughs> so it, it it never truly dies. It just becomes like, I want to know what this comedian is up to, so I go to Twitter. Yeah. And I mean, actually, several of the accounts I follow on Twitter are just like, they're basically glorified notifications. Like, I follow the... the RSS feed. <laughs> yeah, I follow the Colorado Department of Transportation. So it's like, during the winter, when I was going snowboarding a lot... There would be, like, avalanche warnings or there would be an accident. Something would get shut down. Like, the tunnel shut down, like, every freaking day during the winter. So I would see on Twitter, like, oh, the tunnel shut down. And it's like, that was useful. But I could – there are a thousand other ways yeah. I could get that information. The, the other probably best case for what Twitter's useful for is sort of uh, impromptu access to support services from companies by shaming them. Oh, my God. <laughs> that – so when the so useful. so yesterday an RTT, <laughs> RTD bus completely <laughs> just roared by with no intention of like actually serving the customers can, waiting. Can I link to that conversation? <laughs> sure. It was a public conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I tweeted at RTD the ride or whatever their their Twitter account is and said, "So a fifteen bus just blew past me and didn't <laughs> stop." And they they actually to their I mean I don't know if anything will come of it. If, internally to the organization but to their credit they replied and said very sorry to hear that what route were you on we'd like to follow up on this and that's a very good pr move when someone complains very publicly about your bad service yeah because even if 
absolutely nothing comes of it, then they at least made you feel better, which is <laughs> yeah. kind of what PR is all about. It's like they can't go back in time and they can't send you a private bus. Like <laughs> yeah. there's a limit to what they can do. <laughs> I'm sure they're not going to like fire anybody. No. But I could imagine if, and probably one tweet isn't going to do a damn thing, but if like every single day or on this particular guy's route, there's like tweets every single day of like, what the hell, man? Right. Like, yeah, because they know the that, time of day it happened yeah, and the place. Eventually there would just be a, a very smelly pattern of like, yeah, this guy's toxic to our ratings. Right. Um, I've used it uh, with Comcast a couple times. Um, I can't. Oh, Comcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's always terrible. But I have done the, and I've I've tried to be aware. Like I don't want to just go on Twitter and be like, you know, f these f and f. I mean, although it's tempting because you know that that will elicit a response. It's like that's really no different than going into a restaurant and just being like screaming at the waitress. Because your food came out cold or because, you yeah. know, it's like the waitress didn't cook it. Don't blame them. You know, don't scream and at the the steward on the plate, the flight attendant. And no matter how <laughs> righteous your anger is, when you come out that way, sometimes it's easy for the support person to be like, well, this person's crazy, so I don't feel bad not really helping them because they're clearly crazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's... Even just the the moral side of it is, even if you still got your problem resolved, it's you shouldn't maybe treat people like garbage for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Like you're frustrated. There I mean, is that not treating people like garbage <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, I mean you're you're frustrated. I've been frustrated. We kind of have a podcast around the theme of being <laughs> frustrated, but it's still like I don't think it's beneficial to. If you're going to tear into someone, you should at least tear directly into the person who wronged you, not to the person who's trying to make up for the person who wronged you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. So I, you know, I, I have done it. I have gone on Twitter and I feel like I'm going into the middle of a room and just being like, man, Comcast is awful. <laughs> and waiting for Comcast yeah. to show up. It's yeah. like the. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. That's exactly what it is, but it works because then they're like, oh, someone summoned me. And they come over and they're like, hey, buddy, what's going on? And then it's like, oh, now I have your ear. Yeah. It's like I would have had to wait on the phone for half an hour. I am immediately ready to retweet your resolution and praise you in front of the world if you solve my problem. Yes. And that's the other side of that coin is like I'm going to call you out in public, but if you do something awesome, I will also praise you in public. Which isn't everyone. Most people are like, I got mine. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So, but I so if you're going to do public shaming, you have to do public praising. I think that's only fair. At yes. least it's fair. <laughs> yes. So I <laughs> just I'm, I'm I keep getting distracted by this uh, the shaming. <laughs> Any other app sins while uh, we're on that topic or pr- notification sins? Probably. <laughs> um, well, I know I, I mentioned Spotify. Um, I feel like anything that notifies me in a uh, naggy way, and I, I say naggy because, like with Twitter, they're not annoying me 
to the point where I've looked how to turn it off. I'm going to now because now (laughs) I'm like hot about it. But if we hadn't discussed this, I would have just been like, eh. Uh, like I realized I still was getting this uh, spam newsletter that I don't remember ever signing up for, <laughs> but it comes like so intermittently that I'm just like, uh, delete. And then finally, just like a week ago, I was like, why have I not unsubscribed from this? I've never, ever read this. I don't know where it's coming from, but it was just like, oh, hey, man, do you want to read? Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'll bother you in a month. But it was like, if I got it every day, then I would have been like, this is bullshit. And I would have turned it off right away or unsubscribed right away. But because it came, it's like, and I know they know. Yeah. Like, research goes into time of day you tweet, time of day you send uh, newsletters, you know, frequency you repost stuff. Uh, It's different for different networks because different networks have different high volume times. And I'm sure that same kind of research has gone into notifications. How could it not? It's another spam channel. Man, I'm just looking at the email notifications and web notifications page. And it's sort of like the, oh, yeah, we're still not sending you those old newsletters, but here's this new one we opted you into. And I feel like the, Uh. the, the notifications are taking that path of like, Oh, we totally respected all your old settings. We just added a new checkbox. Yes. And it's checked by default because middle finger in your face. Because F you. And I, so do you think that's uh, – are notifications going to – or have they already uh, like supplanted email I don't – I turn off email notifications at every opportunity I get. I don't want email that's just someone – Touched your shoe on this right. social network. <laughs> I had to struggle not to say something that sounded really nasty. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have just gone with like any of the known established. Like, nope. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> but that's. I feel like that's. You know, the web is. Sorry, internet access is growing way more over mobile than it is on desktop. Like we know this. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine a lot of. Nations that never had a strong personal computer ownership are just going to leapfrog that and go straight to mobile. Dev- I mean, many of them sort of have. Right. Like, uh, these people are never going to buy an iMac or a Dell for their home. They're just buying smartphones, and then maybe they'll grow up to something. Right. So that sounds like marketers and SEO gurus and all that other nonsense – they're going to not see email as the way to reach those people, whether it is or not. But it seems like they're going to be like, oh, well, if we can get them to install this app, then yeah. we can bombard the crap out of them with custom notifications. See, that's like the formula is if we can get them to X, then we can bombard them. And yeah. I'm just like that whole bombard thing. Yeah, yeah. That's- oh, maybe – Maybe don't do that. Like, you make me swear <laughs> off your brand when you do that. Like, I will get so annoyed that I associate you as being bad people. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, it's, it's, um. So that's the. Yeah, bad people is probably the right term. Like, it's just like, I, I don't, I know you're not trying like, to kill me or steal my things, but I feel like you are actively trying to harm and degrade <laughs> my quality of life. Well, like you so clearly care so little about my experience using your service that you're willing to constantly like take this megaphone and like I'm trying to focus <laughs> on enjoying whatever it is and you're just like, "Hey buddy, how you doing? <laughs> Did you know 
this. Uh, now I just want to go turn all my notifications off and just be like, you know what? I'll get to my email when I get to it. I do have a blog post about that that I will put in the oh. show notes. Um, Look at that. See, now that is some SEO guru shit right there. <laughs> You're like, oh, I just I just happen to have this channel to uh, advertise my By literature. the way. So I noticed um, you would you, – you know, you're a big music guy. Um, you're, you're a musician. <laughs> just a music person. Just a music. You're, you're a composer of musics as well as a consumer of musics. Um, and you use iDevices. So that means that for at least part of history, you have had to suffer the nightmare of iTunes. And for a while, you th- that was it. If you used an iDevice, you had to use iTunes. Um, with the iPod, for a long time, you had to use iTunes. Now you can like kind of get around it. It's kind of a pain. Yeah. And then on, with the original iPhone, you needed it to sync apps and stuff until they did wireless syncing. Yeah. It didn't used to be a nightmare um, back when the the whole idea of the computer being your digital hub actually made sense. Like when it was like, yeah, these portable devices don't have Wi-Fi, they True. don't have data plans. They don't. They their storage is takes some management. And it's easier to do that with a keyboard and mouse. Like there was a time where it's like iTunes wasn't the evil bastard, bloated, <laughs> fat bastard of of software. It was like, yeah, I set up all my playlists with a computer that like, makes it easy to search and do this. Right. And, you know, I have a smart playlist that's like, grab only sad songs from 2009 that start with the letter S, and you could do that kind of smart playlist and then just say, sync that shit. Right. Um, But that era quickly gave way to, I'm out on the go, and I'm like, I want to hear this song now. Right. Right. It's like, what what do you mean I have to have prepared this ahead of time? And as soon as that wasn't a we're living in the future and it was like a reasonable like, yeah, we all have these Wi-Fi-like speeds everywhere. Yes. Then why not just store it in the cloud and say, yeah, I'll play that one. So I have have to make this incredibly nerdy reference. Um, So in D&D, yes, (laughs) this is happening. In D&D... spellcasters have to prepare their spells ahead of time, which means you have to have an idea of what you're getting into so you can prepare the right spells so that you have them available. And then in later versions of D&D, they introduced the Sorcerer, which has a smaller repertoire of spells, but has them available all the time. Yeah, And that is exactly how I feel about streaming music. (laughs) The moment I was like, I don't have to carry around music with me. I don't have to yeah. decide what to carry around with me, even though we have more storage than we could ever possibly need. And you still get that choice of having synced stuff offline. Yes. Yeah. These are my favorites or my yeah. pinned music or whatever. But yeah, the moment I was like, and like Netflix is the same way. I look at the DVDs on my shelf and I'm like, Ugh, I have to dust those. But then <laughs> when I look at Netflix, I'm like, Everything I care about and millions of things more I didn't even know existed. And you have that friend that puts DVDs back in the different case when they switch movies and you end up with this like musical uh, chairs of discs and you're like, why did you do that? It's like you worst. went into my computer and started renaming, like you switched to mail and you renamed it Chrome because you were done using <laughs> Chrome and renamed all my apps. I feel like I've, I've noticed it less with movies in, in my day-to-day life and it's games. Because yep. 
Because as children, we had cartridge games that you didn't care if they were just sitting out because it was, it was a just cartridge. a generic Nintendo sleeve they went into. <laughs> yes, but as soon as we got to disc-based games, when somebody would take you know Metal Gear Solid out to play Final Fantasy, and they would just leave Metal Gear Solid just laying there, <laughs> it's like it's gonna get scratched. It's not a coaster. Will you please put it back in the freaking sleeve? <laughs> like, ah. and then they put it in the the disc two part of Final Fantasy seven. Ah! <laughs> God, unacceptable. <laughs> and it, it, or maybe disc three. Whatever one was upside down would always lose its stickiness, and so the uh, disc would always drop. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> just the- everyone who played in the disc era knows that feeling of like you open the second section of Final Fantasy yeah, eight, just thunk, and just the disc yeah. has fallen. Yeah, you just got the the old PS one black disc staring up. And at you're you. always worried it's going to like slip down into the crack as you're opening the hinge <laughs> and that's going to scratch it there. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. And then some of my friends may remember when they came to my house and we would play video games, they got like freaking concierge video game service. Cause I'd be like, no, no, I'll, I'll switch it. I'll just, <laughs> you just stay right there. Enjoy your cold beverage. <laughs> I will go to the PlayStation and switch the disc. I'll get you a controller. Do you need a massage? How are you feeling? <laughs> Just right now? Don't touch my games. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of games. I couldn't run the risk of them just throwing them about all willy nilly. Uh, I just had like this horrible like Vietnam flashback to watching people because. And the kind of person who does that, they never just set a game down. They take it and they're like on the counter or on your media center or whatever and it's like you know it's like crumbs and sand and (laughs) whatever it's like did i wonder from people who lived through the record era did they have friends who just took records out and were just like (laughs) like i'm done with that record play frisbee yeah now i'm gonna need a different record i just uh so like you know those those kids or adults, I guess, but and for me, it was my friends did not go home and do that to their games. <laughs> and I tried very hard when I was in someone else's house not to just treat all their stuff like garbage because <laughs> that seems rude. Yep. Uh, so anyway. It's the it's the early <laughs> version of some people we know at work that when they stand up from chairs, the chair no longer exists. <laughs> and they just leave it wherever it drops. Yes, some people. Um, you know who you are. So, But I feel no, like they that... Don't. They really don't. We could name them by name and it still wouldn't matter, but we won't. But I, I feel like that's, to me personally, because I don't have very specific songs or artists or movies or things that I have to have available to me all the time. And so this this is, I think I've actually mentioned this before. This is the great impasse I'm at with Susan is she really enjoys special features. And for some godforsaken reason, <laughs> the streaming companies will not make that stuff available. It's yeah, I'm sure Netflix would love to make that stuff available. Yeah, I don't I don't know where the the choke is happening in the pipeline. It's the owners, they're like, "You want to pay us six times as much?" Sure. Well, and that's the thing is I can buy a physical disc copy of a movie for let's say when it comes out it's like 15 or 20 dollars and it comes with all this bonus stuff but it also comes with more expensive packaging they have to provide me a second disc to put the special features on you know there's all this extra cost whereas 
digitally, they could just literally jack up the price and not increase their expense at all. Yeah. Like, if Netflix raised their prices to $12 a month, but they were like, every movie that had special features, we now have the special features, Susan would throw money at them so fast because she loves that stuff. And, I mean, a lot of movies' special features are terrible, but some of them are really great. So my hunch is that the physical format is still so important to movie companies which is if so for obnoxious. nothing else has some perceived hedge against the streaming companies yeah that they they want every differentiator they can possibly think of for like yeah buy the physical version no you're definitely right and i mean maybe they're still stuck in the mindset of like Blu-ray is just the latest one. There's going to be like 12 more physical formats. And so that's why they love you buying a Blu-ray because they know you'll buy a Whatever unicorn be. ray in, in five <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you're definitely right. And I actually um, I will link to this on Amazon uh, just because it, it blew me away. But um, I'm big. I think it's come up before. I'm a big Disney fan. So when Frozen came out, I was like, yes, we can buy Frozen. <laughs> and... We had to get the Blu-ray because we wanted the special features. And on Amazon, I don't know about other services, but on Amazon, you can actually buy the digital version with special features. And it specifically announces it. It's like movie, movie plus special features. And I was like, I have never even seen that yeah. option before, which is like, it's it's the... It's the whisper. It's like this is the spark of revolution, right? Like <laughs> this is you're in, you know, 16th century century France and you're in the tavern and you're thinking about how terrible the monarchy is. And then over, you know, the, the din of rabble, you hear someone else saying all the things you also hate about the monarchy. And you're like, oh, and you kind of <laughs> you lock eyes with that person and they realize they heard you. And like, that's the spark of revolution. <laughs> yeah. So it's like. I just made this into something way more. Yeah. So you just mentioned uh, <laughs> Disney and Frozen, and I have to call out the Onion article faking the, the executive, like, we can do a real misogynist one now. Like, like <laughs> yeah. We've done, now like, three or four progressive, <laughs> strong female characters. Now we can do a real Cinderella next. <laughs> yep. Yeah, which was a funny Onion article, but it does... The, the conspiracy theorist fan in me does wonder, like, do they sometimes build up goodwill so that they can then <laughs> go back to classics? Because classics sell. I mean, regardless of your moral feelings about them, they always sell well. So here's the, the actual headline. is Disney CEO figures they've built up enough goodwill to do a real sexist one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen Frozen, I'm going to just go ahead and completely spoil it for you. So, seriously, if you don't want to hear this, you might as well just... She doesn't just sit around waiting for a man to rescue her. She doesn't just sit around waiting for a man to rescue her. The true love is between siblings, not between a man and a woman, and the prince is the villain. Like, (laughs) when I was done watching that movie, I was like, this is the most progressive Disney movie ever made. Like... The only thing they didn't have a lot of was minorities, and to be fair, the part of the world it's supposed to base, be in, like, you wouldn't have pretty much anything except white blonde people, because they're in the far... Sweden? Yeah, they're, 
you know, what this, it's Arendelle is the name of the kingdom. But, I mean, that's basically where they are. They're in, like, n- the Norway-Sweden area. Like, yeah. you just don't see a lot of Hispanic and African and Asian people in that part of the world, especially at this time in history when travel was difficult. Yeah. So it's like shoehorning minorities in would have been weird. Would have probably been more offensive. <laughs> right. Like, they just happen to be around. But, I mean, the fact that you have all these non-traditional values being expressed in a Disney movie, that was also one of the most successful Disney movies ever. And that was probably part of the argument before, is like, well, people want the damsel in distress, and they want yeah. the hero, and they exactly. like this archetype. And it's like, yeah, people do like that archetype. It's sold well for hundreds and thousands of years. But it turns out you can tell other stories, too, and people will like them. <laughs> yes, which is, to me, like, that's, that's like, the ultimate w- best way that could go. So it's yeah. like, we tried something different. We made a cartoonish amount of money off of our cartoon. Like, they, they had to go to the bank with big <laughs> sacks with there. dollar signs on it. <laughs> right? But, I mean, like, that's awesome because then it incentivizes them to try new things and yeah. to maybe have, like, homosexual characters or transgender characters, like, and, things they never would have touched before. And I think it's fair to say this is actually the way that industry thinks. Like, they really, are the people that produce films really do say things like, well, you can't have a female lead if there's no man. Yes. They, like, very simple, there's no context needed, like, oh, there's just a female lead? Nope. Yeah. Or, like, where's the love interest? You just like that was what held Ender's Game up as a movie for like two decades, which I wish had continued to hold it up for another <laughs> two hundred years. But so at no least, one would at have least to see it. Orson had that sense of like, no, don't like give him some. Yeah, don't make them into which a they teenage. Sort of, sort of started to sort of do, but at least they. <laughs> so although we could, I could spend another hour ripping on Ender's Game. <laughs> I do have to just say, I felt like. The studio executives wanted it to seem like a love story between Ender and uh, P- Petra. Yeah, yeah, Ender and Petra. Um, but I feel like the actual undertone was a a bond of friendship, yeah. like a, a, a love friendship, like the way Greeks would have used the word love or Shakespeare would have used the word love. Yeah. But the studio execs were definitely like, uh, we kind of got our way. So if you need an example of when the studio execs did get their way, Prince Caspian. Oh, just having yeah. Susan make out with Prince Caspian. It was just like sort of a big middle finger to... Yeah. Yeah, we know this is supposed to be a children's story, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's actually just a crappy rom-com. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. We, we need to get the Twilight crowd with this. Uh, <laughs> I think I would I wouldn't last a day in LA. <laughs> I would just I would be hearing those kinds of conversations outside you, of Starbucks and I would be hanging myself sure by that night. I'm not even doing it justice for how annoying it gets in pitch meetings They're like Yeah. Yeah, we could tell an original story, but no. Nah. It's so obvious to me we could spend a whole episode on this when <laughs> that's what bothers me about certain T V series. Like I could talk a long time about why I love the modern BBC that tells very concise stories that are over, like, there's yeah, nine hours of story, ending. but yeah, that's one thing. But the the whole, like, ensemble cast that hits every market demographic, you've got a, a 30-something 
recently divorced woman that's figuring her finding herself again. You've yep. got the grandparents. You've got the teenager that's starting to do drugs. You've got, and it's sort of like just, just like all every every single demographic they could possibly advertise to that it's, they know spends a certain amount of money on a certain kind of product yeah. because it's like obviously gay men and women have to like buy goods and services in our society. <laughs> But for whatever reason, they just have decided that they're not a marketable audience. Yeah. And I have nothing against ensemble casts or diverse casts or anything like that, yeah. but it just comes off so cloyingly like, yeah, we're just trying to make this you know, a buffet of yeah. a buffet show. Yeah, it's, it's we want the family to sit down together. Oh, and by the way, that family is of a certain age and a certain race and a certain religion, has a certain number of kids and a certain number of a certain kind of pets, <laughs> and drinks a certain soft drink while they watch a certain sport. Like, it's just, where is this family? <laughs> it's this weird, all things to all people. <laughs> yeah, but not minorities or atheists. Or but I'd, I'd be fine with a crazy diversity in a show. I mean... I can think of examples of shows that had big ensembles, Arrested Development, Firefly, whatever. Yeah. Both canceled shows. Because <laughs> they were good. I would be okay with the crazy diversity if it's it doesn't it comes feel on, like... Yeah, it just feels so cheap. And, yeah, and, and this is the note I'm going to probably end on. Did you watch Ghostbusters as a kid? Yes. Have you ever seen new Ghostbusters? No. Okay. I think it was actually called like Extreme Ghostbusters or something. I'm I don't even want to look it up because it'll just make me vomit with rage. But they went from a very eighties American friendly, you know, there were three white guys and one black guy, just like there was in the movie. And <laughs> I love that cartoon. I mean, I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a long time. But when they announced new Ghostbusters, I was like, as you know, a 12 year old or whatever I was like this is the greatest day of my life like everything I ever wanted is coming to fruition and not only was it a terrible show but you could just even as a child I was like one of the characters is in a wheelchair not because that's an interesting part of the character but because we have this terrible 90s and desire it's just like so politically correct that it's offensive because that character has to represent all wheelchair people. All people in They can't just be a character. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. there was also um, one of the Ghostbusters was like a punk, gothy woman. And it's like, oh, she's a sassy, take no nonsense kind of girl. And it's like, it's not that she's a strong female. It's that she's strong and a female. And it's like, as <laughs> this if... This is exceptional. Yeah, I mean, as if we've never seen this before. <laughs> right, like you couldn't just go outside and find women who will not be a doormat. Like, it's like, wow, it, only in the cartoon universe could you find a, so, a strong female who's also friends with someone in a wheelchair? So I feel like... like uh, it was awful. We're out of time, but there, I feel like the, the mid and late 90s... I mean, there's some amazing 90s cartoons. Batman... Yes. X-Men. Gargoyles. Yeah. Animaniacs. But there is a, I feel like there's this ghetto in the mid-late 90s <laughs> of like cartoons that we kind of want to forget ever happened. Yes. And it's like there's like the 80s and probably some 70s like classics that will never die. They're just like fondly remembered. And then there's like new modern post-Ren and Stimpy era. Yeah. Like modern adult, not just for kids cartoons. And then there's like the late 90s where it's like, yeah. Uh. 
It's like early polygon graphics. Like not, not good. <laughs> not a good look. So I would okay. Here is we always ask for like a specific flavor of follow up. We're happy to let people follow up on everything, but here's the thing I'm interested in this week. If you remember a cartoon from the '90s or something like that from the '90s where you felt like one of those incredibly cliched characters actually did represent your group, I would be super curious to hear about that. Because looking back, I cannot imagine that the girls in my age group, when Extreme Ghostbusters or whatever the hell it was, came out, looked at that and were like, oh, I hated Ghostbusters before, but this girl character totally speaks to me. Now I like Ghostbusters. Because it's like, (laughs) if you didn't like the idea of four people running around and chasing ghosts and making teenage-level quips... I don't know that the presence of a girl with, like, blue hair or whatever (laughs) would suddenly make girls interested in that. That's kind of like when they came out with pink Legos. You remember that? (laughs) Like, if you're not interested in building blocks. And that almost, like, inherently suggests that the rest of the Lego blocks are boys' blocks. Exactly, which is a terrible distinction. Like, I, I had friends that were girls that played with, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figures and Legos. And I had friends who were boys that had, you know, tea parties and stuff when I was, you know, like that age, like under 10. And Before it's like, we, we like shamed it out of everyone with yeah. these gender roles. And it's just, I mean, I know it's not like I came from this magical land of diversity. I had <laughs> lots of friends and I did things that fit into neat little stereotypes, but I just can't imagine the day after Extreme Ghostbusters was announced, a kid in a wheelchair was like, oh, now I'll watch Ghostbusters. Finally, I've got the Burger King guy, and now I've got Ghostbusters. Oh, my God. <laughs> what were the, their Wheels. The, what were they, like the Burger King fun pals or something? <laughs> uh, we don't have enough time to do the necessary research. But, the, so that that's, I'm happy to hear follow-up about anything, but it, if anybody can specifically speak to that i would be super interested like did wheels make you eat at burger king did the character (laughs) from ghostbusters make you say like oh my god now did the hyperventilating ventilating wheelchair kid from malcolm in the middle (laughs) yeah give you an identity yeah is that (laughs) why you thought malcolm in the middle was a good show that would just i just i just can't imagine it working it just seems like terrible so mike where can people find you on the interwebs? Find me at M Edwards Music on Twitter or pseudomichael.com on the web. People can find me at Lions in Beta on Twitter, lionsinbeta.com, my website. And these show notes are flippingtablespodcast.com slash 016. Yeah, so and- give us some follow-up about any of this or... I figure I didn't quite get exactly what your question was about the cartoons. <laughs> if you want to write that at the end of the show notes, so yeah, I'll, I'll, you can I'll visibly have that. There. I'll definitely throw that in there, and that can come up blog comments, Twitter, wherever. But I, I, I would, I, I just don't believe it. I don't believe this person exists that <laughs> okay. that says like you know, no little kid was like, oh, finally, Ghostbuster speaks to me. It's just <laughs> I don't. It, sorry. And if you're out there, please tell me. Expand my worldview. <laughs> All right. So good. We will see you all next week. <laughs>